Right now, I'd like to introduce you to the one, the only, and many people are thankful for that. <laughs> Hello, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Not quite sure how to take that. <laughs> well, don't take it as a compliment. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay. You have been such an asset to this program on Tuesdays, and a lot of people are listening. And real quick, before we get started, uh, Dr-History.com, it's growing in popularity, and what are the hits in the countries? right now? The last I checked, we were about 104,000 in 76 different countries. Wow. Just grows by every week. It amazes me, the different countries. That Is that a uh, kind of a sign as to why there's so much unrest in the world? <laughs> <laughs> They're listening to us, maybe. <laughs> Again, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> what are we going to talk about today? You know, uh, I've got a guy here that nobody has heard about. Uh-oh. El Fuego Baca. Oh, I've heard of it. Oh, have you? Yes, as a matter of fact, I'm going to kind of steal some thunder, but the Disney Corporation back in the 60s did a TV series on him. Okay, well, I'm going to guess 95% of the people out there <laughs> have never heard of this guy. <laughs> so that's who we're going to hit today. Okay. But, you know, to give a little uh, uh, pre-stuff here to the gunfighters, you know, I just want to, you know, the gunfighter as portrayed in the movies, the television screen, the dime novel, uh, pretty much folklore. Uh, the drama of two gunslingers meeting in the street at high noon, the lightning fast draw, the roar of exploding powder, the impact of bullets, the crumpling of the body, these situations were and are basically illusions and really had little, if anything, to do with reality. Oh, come on. Doc, you're blowing everything out of the saddle. Hollywood, you yeah. know, but there were shootouts, you know, yeah. and occasionally guys died, And uh, but basically the opponent opponents uh, of these, uh, the, the, these guys, they uh, pretty well knew if there was going to be a shootout to have the odds in their favor. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, a gun underneath the table, things like that. But uh, actually, and this may shake a few people, the term gunfighter did not even exist 100 years ago. In fact, back then, the newspapers referred to characters as gunmen or shooters. Really? So the term gunfighter and gunslinger are modern terms. Yeah, and that's true, too, because uh, do you remember the last movie that John Wayne was in called The Shootist? Okay, it's yes. similar to what you're talking about. Yeah. They were called shootists also. Yeah, and now another thing that's going to hopefully shake a little faith, the guys did not wear the guns down on their leg. They wore the gun up on their hip. So the movie depiction of this, uh, what do you call it, hog leg gun down on their yeah. leg about halfway down, that that's not where they wore their guns. Uh, and a lot of the people, and I think Billy the Kid was one, uh, that they always wore them with a kind of a cross draw. Billy, I think, wore his pistol over on his left hip so that he drew it with his right hand over his left hip. Yeah. I think Billy the Kid had his uh, over on the left hip. Yeah. There was a lot with the cross draw. Yes, there was. Yeah. And uh, I was just glancing to see if I had a picture of him. I thought you did at one time. I, I do. And, yeah. and you're right. It seems like he's got that yeah. really almost at his stomach. Yeah. 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 So, all right. We're Which, gonna... if it goes off, could cause a lot of uh, indigestion problems. <laughs> he, could have, he could have trouble eating. So, El Fuego Baca. Yeah. Last of the old time shooters. Okay. 
Now, Mexican or Mexican-American gunslingers never achieved the notoriety of their Anglo counterparts mm -hmm. for various reasons. Now, an Anglo might hang around town and make a nuisance of himself by shooting people for years before public patients finally tired and some of the more aggressive citizens dangled him from the cross tie of a telephone pole. Mm -hmm. But the Mexican pistoleros received much less consideration. The Mexicans had a natural reluctance uh, about notching dead men on their pistols. They made superb, even ruthless bandits and revolutionaries, but always formidable opponents when aroused, but that's about as far as it went. Now, the trade of gunfighting did not interest the average Mexican, but exceptions existed, and El Fuego Baca is the best-known example. Now, he had the usual characteristics uh, common to most gunmen. He was and is controversial. He drank too much. He talked too much. Uh, the stereotype of the silent Westerner is a myth, as most of them would talk off your arm and your leg if given the opportunity, mm -hmm. uh, often accentuating their uh, activities. Right. He had a weakness for the female uh, gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprise, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked. He was often arrogant, and of course he showed no question about killing people. You aren't talking about some of our politicians, are you? No, no, oh, this is oh, El Fuego. Okay. I see, okay. <laughs> now, uh, his mother liked to play baseball. Okay. Really? Yeah, and so it came as no surprise to anybody when she interrupted the game one evening in 1865 and gave birth on the ball field to El Fuego at Socorro, uh, New Mexico. No kidding. Yeah, so they had to call timeout. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> While well, she gave birth to her son. <laughs> now, his father, Francisco, uh, with the reputation of being kind of a hard case. And he, he was on second base. He was on second base. <laughs> <laughs> but he moved the family to Topeka, Kansas, when El Fuego... You know, that's a hard name to say, El Fuego. El Fuego. Why don't you just call him Elf? Elf. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't sound so good. Elfie Baca. Elfie. Well, anyway, so he moved when he was just still a young kid, a little toddler, but the lad attended school and had ample opportunities for fighting with the gringo kids who, whatever their uh, faults, were not too familiar with Mexicans and therefore lacked uh, the racial prejudice usually found in New Mexico and Texas. Mm -hmm. A little different there. Yeah. But at age 15, uh, Baca returned to Socorro, a young man now speaking better English than Spanish. His father sold the family business in Topeka and also returned to New Mexico, becoming city marshal of Belen, a small village upriver from Socorro. Don't, don't uh, know if you've ever heard of that. It's Belen. Oh, Balin. It's Balin, New Mexico, and I've been through there. Okay. Okay. Well, one afternoon, the older Baco, Francisco, shot and killed two cowboys uh, because they were shooting up the town. So he just up and shot them. Mm -hmm. Well, a court decreed he went too far in the performance of his duties and put him in jail in Las Lunas. Yeah. Well, El Fuego... Knowing his dad was in jail, cut a hole in the roof and pulled his father to safety, after which Francisco fled to one of the settlements near El Paso. Okay. Now, young Baca, El Fuego, continued living in the New Mexico community of Socorro until 1884, when at the age of 19, he had already built himself a solid reputation as a gun hand. He even purchased a mail-order badge and pretended he had some kind of legal authority. Mm -hmm. Now, an opportunity to show off his stuff came when a deputy sheriff from Frisco, New Mexico, told some tales of how the cowpunchers were terrorizing the village. So, here's an opportunity. 
So El Fuego pinned on his badge, which again was fake, yeah. declared himself a lawman and conducted a private investigation. I see. Now, it revealed the nearby slaughter outfit, and I think you've heard of the slaughter the outfit. The slaughter gang, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, they were the chief troublemakers. Yeah. In particular, a cowboy named McCarty. Well, he would habitually ride up and down the main street, shooting at signs and whatever else attracted his fancy. So El Fuego looked up uh, the justice of the peace and asked him to swear out a warrant for McCarty's arrest. Well, the justice of the peace said something rather... Uh, Profane, indicating that Baca should uh, go back to Socorro. Yeah, nuts to you. Yeah, and so the Justice of the Peace obviously had no interest in uh, taking McCarty to jail. So anyway, undeterred, Baca headed uptown to check out the lawbreakers. He found McCarty and some friends gathered in the street, all minding their own business, supposedly, but doing it in a loud tone of voice. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Baca grabbed McCarty by the collar, stuck the business end of his pistol in his ear, hmm. and ordered him to step lively toward the jailhouse. That is one body crevice that you really don't want a Colt forty four stuck in. No, no, not not at close quarters. No. So anyway, uh, he said that you know tomorrow you'll be taken to Socorro for trial. Well, late that afternoon, a group of cowboys led by the slaughter foreman confronted Baca near the jail and demanded McCarty's release. Mm -hmm. Well, El Fuego refused to negotiate or discuss the matter. Instead, he warned the cowboys that he would count to three. If within that length of time the men had not moved on, everybody could consider the last number as a signal to start shooting. Oh, this is going to get tough. One, two, three. Okay. Now, I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. This, this is, is what they used to do on Saturday mornings with those cereals, and the organ music would go... Okay. We're going to come in quickly and say more about El Fuego Baca in just a moment. But right now, let's talk about Merry Christmas Wishes from AMI 719 Overland in Burley. Look for the big 28-foot wrench over their door and go nuts over their bolts. Absolutely the greatest of guys, Alan, Corey, Eric, Rob, the whole crew, wishing you a very Merry Christmas at AMI. Also, propane with Barbara and the crew at 1116 Overland Avenue in Burley. Best stains, best paint, best advice right there. Get fixed up for your holiday gatherings and make sure you get the best from Barbara at Propaint. Merry Christmas. And our buddy Joe Taylor, 1826 Overland Avenue in Burley with Carrie and Adams Realty. Buy or sell real estate. This man, one call does it all to Joe Taylor, 678-9400. Merry Christmas from all of those good folks to you this morning. And now, more about El Fuego Baca. All right. When we left him, he had uh, a group of the slaughter guys, uh, and he told them he was going to count to three, and then the shooting would start. Oh, boy. Well, Baca immediately and calmly began to count. One. Not hesitating between numbers. Two. And. Three. Three. And when he said three, he pulled his pistol and started shooting. Oh, my goodness, he did it. He didn't hesitate. Oh. Well, a bullet nipped the leg of a rider, and the other shots kind of went wild. And I'm suspecting maybe that was on purpose. I don't know. They really weren't the best shots. Not always. No. No. Well, instead of the cowboys firing back, they were on horses. Well, the horses were rearing, rearing up, jumping yeah. up and down, oh state my. of confusion. Yes. Now, the foreman's horse flipped all the way over and actually killed the trail boss. 
Oh, my and, and goodness. You've seen that happen uh, yeah. with horses rearing. With well, I mean, you're in the middle of a shooting gallery. What do you expect? Right. Well, the cowboys carried him off, and the town kind of stayed quiet for the rest of that day and yeah. all night. Did he count to three again? Well, no, but it's going to get a little worse. Oh, boy. The next morning, another justice of the peace agreed to try McCarty. Well, Baca took his prisoner to court, and the judge fined the cowboy $5 for disturbing the peace. Oh, that broke him. Yeah. So, now, when it was all over, the angry cowboys began milling in the street. Baca knew he was in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, someone fired a shot. And he took off sprinting down an alley. I see. Now, if you can picture this, there was a tiny shack that provided the only cover. But there was a woman and two children inside. Oh, boy. So El Fuego chased them out and settled down in this little tiny shack to defend himself. Oh, so he chased the mother and the children out into the danger area. Right. And El Fuego, being the neat guy that he was, he stayed inside the house. Exactly. I see. Exactly. I see. Okay. Now, rancher Jim Hearn rushed the building while uh, carrying a rifle, but he wasn't firing. Well, Baca pumped two bullets into him, and Stern, Hearn staggered off to die. Uh, there might be something said for the fact that learn how to shoot your gun. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to be rushing towards somebody, you might ought yeah. to be shooting. Yeah. Well, on the face of it, a more unlikely spot to withstand a siege could not be imagined. The building was constructed of upright posts chinked with mud. Some of the cracks were very large. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, the floor had been dug out about 18 inches below ground level, and that's what saved Baca. So he dug a hole. Well, it was already there. Oh. The ground level was already about 18 inches below inside the cabin. So, okay, so picture this little log cabin with holes all the way around where the chinking had come out. But if he'd have been at ground level, the bullets would have gone through the logs. Exactly. Oh, my. So... For the next 36 hours, the Cowboys kept him pinned down in what was to be one of the most incredible one-man stands in history. Really? Now, picture this. Over 80, 80 Cowboys surrounded the building, and they poured hundreds, probably thousands of slugs into the shack. And they never hit him? Well, let me keep going. Okay. (laughs) You're trying to steal my thunder. (laughs) Well, the door alone had nearly 400 bullet holes. A broom handle uh, was hit eight times. A broom handle? A broom handle. So you can get an idea of how many bullets were going into this little shack. If I were old El Fuego, I'd have been digging deeper. And he may have been. I see. Uh, but anyway, uh, through it all, Baca lay flat on the dirt, uh-huh. occasionally rising to fire through the cracks in the wall. Now, some stories say he killed several attackers, but actually, other than the Hearn guy, it doesn't seem that he actually hit anybody. I see. Now, the cowboys tossed torches on the roof, but the dirt prevented a fire from starting. It had a dirt roof, so mm. not going to start on fire. Yeah, that's a bad deal. Now, they actually hurled dynamite, and it went off with a shattering roar. Dynamite? Dynamite. And it collapsed part of the roof. Now, at this point, no one knew whether Baca was still alive. This isn't Fort Knox you're talking about. No. No, this is just a little old cabin. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so here we go. The next morning, they got their answer. Smoke curled up from the chimney remains, and the aroma of food reached the cowboys. Baca was fixing breakfast. He was eating breakfast. Now, which... Gives the question, what food did he carry on his body 
Uh, well, not only that, time. but I mean, you said they shot the place to ribbons. How come the stove and everything still worked? Well, I don't know. It must have been made of stone or something. Uh -huh. I, or metal. I don't Holy know. Cow. So here we go. The second dra day dragged on with only sporadic firing as many of the cowboys returned to the ranks. I guess they got tired of it. Tired of shooting? Yeah. But late that afternoon, a deputy sheriff named Ross, whom Baca knew and trusted, offered Baca assurance that if he came out and stood trial, no one would harm him. Well, Baca agreed on the condition that he would, if he could keep his guns. And that's how it all ended. So he came out, still carrying his guns, uh, after having breakfast. But Baca went by buckboard to Socorro, where he stayed in jail for four months. Really? Finally, he went on trial in Albuquerque and was acquitted twice on charges of murder. No kidding. So, you know, frontier justice, whatever, being what it was. Yeah. But anyway, jail time gave Baca an opportunity to think about life in general, and he made up his mind to be a criminal lawyer and peace officer. Now, wait a minute. Did anybody ever find out that he was a phony sheriff? That's a good question. Uh, Homework assignment. Yeah, yeah. But uh, okay. anyway, he also made up his mind to get married at the age of 20. So here he is, only 20 years old. He finally got married. Well, at least he could cook. Yeah, he could. He'd make a good wife, right? <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. You got me on that one. <laughs> so a son and five daughters were eventually born of this marriage. Uh-huh. Well, over the years, Baca actually did become a peace officer and acquired the customary knife and ice pick wounds common to that occupation. Knife and ice pick wounds were yeah. common? Yeah, trying to break up fights. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, and he, in fact, he arrested a noted outlaw by the name of Jose Chavez. Mm -hmm. And I don't... I'm not real familiar with that guy, but and is also instrumental in putting a guy named Jose Garcia behind bars. Garcia was a bad, bad guy, real bad. And I'm not going to go into detail, but oh, his okay. gruesome uh, murder uh, type things—he uh, was bad. But That's El Fuego the, caught him. He caught him, put I him see. behind bars. Okay, yeah. good. So here we are, 1894. The New Mexico Bar Association admitted him to practice law. No kidding. So since then, uh, as now, many lawyers. Lawyers thought of themselves as politicians. Oh, my. Is that a surprise? No. Nope. So he decided to run for office. And as time went by, he was elected mayor, county clerk, school superintendent, assistant district attorney, and district attorney. All of those things. Yeah. Now, I find this interesting. He, this, the, the story says that he was an articulate spokesman. Really? So he must have had a, what we would call, what, a silver tongue person? Yeah, you know? he told a lot of stories when he was younger. <laughs> he did. <laughs> well, Baca spent a lot of time in El Paso and Juarez. One afternoon, a guy by the name of Celestino Otero... Easy for you to say. Yeah, I did that slowly, you noticed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he supported a different faction of the Mexican Revolution, and he agreed to meet Baca at an El, pa El Paso cafe. I see. Now, Baca arrived, stepped out of his car, and Otero fired... The bullet struck El Fuego in the stomach, Oh! but the old gunman wasn't napping. He fired twice in return. Otero died with two bullets through the heart. Really? So obviously uh, El Fuego was a pretty good shot. I mean, here he is, shot himself, yeah. falling to the ground, still manages to put two bullets through this guy's heart. Okay, so what happened to El Fuego? Well, he survived, 
and yeah. an El Paso jury acquitted him, and really that was self-defense, yeah. no, no question. Sure. So in his 50s now, he was a mustached guy, a little plumpish, uh, still full of energy and long-winded stories. Porky El Fuego. Porky El Fuego with a mustache. He ran for sheriff of Socorro County, and most reports say he was the best peace officer Socorro ever had. Really? Yeah. And that's the story. That is. Of El Fuego yeah. Baca. And he, do you remember, honestly, when Disney did this? I do not. Yeah, I'll, it was back in the 60s, and I can't think of the actor. You know the actor that played that part uh, in the series El Fuego Baca. They called it the life and times of El Fuego Baca. You know, it sounds familiar, yeah. but I, I'm sure I probably watched it. And it was it. on the Disney uh, show every Sunday yeah. night. But, you know, actually, Baca returned to the practice of the law in New Mexico. Uh, he didn't want to retire to a rocking chair, and he was still a pretty colorful guy. And here we are clear up into 1945. He lived that long? So he was about, uh, what, se- 80 years old? Really? 75, 80? With ice pick wounds and bullet wounds uh, yeah, and everything. Yeah. So anyway, a couple of months later, uh, the last of the old-time gunfighters died in eight, again in 1945 wow. uh, at the age of 80. Yeah, wow. At the age of 80. El Fuego Baca. Where did he die? Down in New Mexico? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep, he was down in New Mexico, and uh, back in those days, and we've talked about this before, to live almost past 50 was tough was unusual especially for a guy in his profession one of the questions I asked you when you came into the studio this morning that we thought we'd talk about for a few moments is it's always interesting to hear about the old west and some of the great colorful personalities Annie Oakley Billy the Kid uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and everything but what about the recording of history for today's heroes or different personalities is anybody doing that? You know, I would hope they are, and as you and I talked earlier, I told you that with my own father, we gave him a tape recorder before he passed away, and for the last several years of his life, whenever he thought of a story, didn't matter what order it was in chronologically, we said, Dad, just pick up the recorder, tell the story, and uh, we'll take the tape and we'll uh, type it out. I see. And that's what I would encourage people to do, because a lot of older people, especially as you and I mentioned, the World War two vets yeah they've got stories and i've noticed a lot of them will not talk about it for years and years but sometimes towards their end the end of their lives they'll start telling stories that their family didn't even know yeah and i hate to see those stories die with those people you know there was a gentleman that used to live south of hanson and when i first came out here in 1969 he was my neighbor up the road and uh he had some of the great stories of uh he was at that time was in his 80s so i mean that puts uh, way back into like 1880 when he was born etc and all the stories about the utah construction company and the U- uc running cattle and wild horses up here for the cavalry and i mean there were so many stories Stories and me, big dumb me, I should have just stuck a tape recorder underneath this man's mouth and just let him ramble. Yeah, I over the years I've talked to guys that were in World War II. Yeah. One particular man was liberating the prisoners of war in yeah. Japan, and some of the things he told me were kind of would kind of shake you. Uh, another fellow, he went down with his uh, uh, airplane in the Pacific, him and two other airplanes. Uh, Two of them survived. One of them went down with his airplane. Mm. The other two were picked up by a submarine. Another fellow uh, 
in his bomber. He was the only one still alive oh my. in his airplane, uh, and, but he managed to bring it in and land the airplane, but a bullet had come across and taken off the ends of all four of his fingers, so oh my. he only had fingers uh, up to here. Oh, my goodness. So those are the stories that, uh, and not just that, but life stories. Life stories. And and who's recording these? You know, uh, we talk about all these different things, the mountain men, and we talk about the food, and we talk about the medicinal help they had in the old days or didn't have. And yet you look at today, and like you said, from World War I, World War II, into the Vietnam conflict, Korea, etc., and the recording of these stories... I mean, I know there's some, but really, where are they? It's got. It has to start with the family. Yeah. And again, not necessarily just the exciting World War II things, but the everyday struggles that uh, your father, your grandfather, your great grandfather, struggles that you and I have. Yeah. That we think, well, they didn't have those, but yet they did. Got an idea for you before we wrap up the show for today, Ken? What would it be, and how hard would it be for people to jot down some of these stories, or maybe send some of those to you and I, and maybe we could start. Uh, maybe doing one every now and then on this program you know people everybody has a story yeah everybody has a story and uh yeah just a, even a short little uh, blurb about yeah. uh, maybe when they came to the magic valley or yeah. even a story about their father their grandfather just even a short or maybe story. their pioneer families that settled here and uh, maybe were farmers or ranchers or whatever and uh, moved out here like in the 1880s and maybe get some more local flair well uh, I've told the story. My grandmother met Diamond Field Jack up in Albion. Really? And uh, she remembers looking through the jail uh, uh, bars and visiting with Diamond Field Jack. Oh, she wasn't in jail. She was oh, with him. I see. But the fellow that I met a few uh, month or so ago that was friends or knew Butch Cassidy. Yeah. You know, I know there's people in this area that that have uh, connections. Yeah, we'd stories. like to know some of those stories. You bet. Yeah. And how would they go about sending them uh, to the to us? I mean, could they send them to you, email them to you, or what would be the easiest? Sure. Uh, if they have stories, they can send it to krtburley at gmail.com. krtburley. Yep at gmail.com uh-huh. yeah okay I'm going to wrap it up for today and hit the road and Dr. Turner Dr. History and if you want to listen to any of these other broadcasts that we've had in the past dr-history.com that's the place alright God bless you and we'll see you next week and yes. by the way the best to your wife I understand she had a little accident yes uh, broke her arm and she's not moving real fast but she's doing good so she in absolute honesty can't throw that skillet at you anymore She's still got a right hand. I see. Okay. Well, you're still in trouble. (laughs) God bless you, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Dr. Turner, better known as Dr. History. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy opening, smooth pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money.